Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Aladdin. Hello. Welcome to an Arabian night, a late Tuesday Arabian night. <laughs> Austinian night. Emanating from disgusting Austin, Texas right now. It's been raining, and then it gets really hot, and it's humid and really gross. It's going to get worse, so I don't, I don't oh. want, I want to save my complaining for when it gets a lot worse. Much like Aladdin, it's going to get worse later this week. <laughs> <laughs> As we record here two, three days before the uh, release of the live-action Aladdin. But yes, we are the contrarians. We're, we are right, you are wrong, as we like to say here on our little gimmick that we call a podcast. Uh, here today to tackle the 1992 all-time classic, or so they say, Aladdin. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the contrarians, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you. And second, I want to kind of give you a quick little spiel about what it is we do here. Uh, what we like to say is we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, find a movie that's highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes, make a case for why it's not good, and vice versa, find those nasty rotten green splotches on Rotten Tomato and make an argument for why that movie has some merit. Being that Aladdin, I believe, is 94%, we're going to take it down a peg. Yeah, we're going to tell you what's wrong with it, uh, regardless of how we feel. If you want to know how we actually feel about the movie... And if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you've heard Alex uh, go on about Aladdin <laughs> for a while. Um, but still, if you want to know more about that and about how I feel about the movie, just stick around for the second half of the show. That's real talk. And that's where we tell you our real feelings. Before we launch into things here on this episode of The Contrarians, uh, numerically, where are we at? This is going to be 83 or 84. 84, somewhere in there. So we're getting we're getting high up there, getting close to that elusive number 100. Uh, but before we get too deep into it, we were afforded the opportunity to be part of something really cool this past weekend, uh, as we were part of the live stream for The Cure. Uh, if you had listened to us on there, we want to say thank you. More importantly, uh, anyone that listened during our time and donated, thank you very much. It's a very cool thing that, um, Nick and, uh, well, Dan was the other one that was there, like, the entire time. Mm-hmm. And then Justin and uh, Brian yeah. popped in and out throughout the weekend. It's a very cool thing that they, they did. Uh, really nice guys. Really helpful, too, with just getting us all set up and everything. And really grateful they let us be on. Uh, really fun experience, I thought. Yeah. Nick sat through Basic Instinct 2 just so that he could be part of our, our segment. And God bless them. Uh, Nick and Dan both just warriors that entire weekend uh, and uh justin too i i did when i was able to watch uh which was a pretty good chunk of it he was in there quite as well but uh yeah on uh saturday night i believe it was 
watching that, I made the comment in the chat that uh, Nick looked like Fry on the episode of Futurama where he drinks 100 cups of coffee to stay awake. <laughs> he, he definitely looked frazzled. But it was so fucking cool because they reached their goal with uh, two days into the three-day drive. Yeah, yeah. So Sunday was just gravy. It, they were just, you know, just piling it on top of the goal. So that was, that was really cool. Uh, the other highlight... During our segment was that we made it to sixty nine percent of the goal, which that, is that was, appropriate. I, like it was one of those things we could have just retired our <laughs> podcast after that. <laughs> just cut the segment off, right? Yeah, like, I mean it's too much fun to do so. But not only did we reach the sixty nine percent, but then someone made an extra donation to get the donation total to sixty nine point sixty nine percent. Yeah, it, I it think was it was glorious. Dan because then he he proudly proclaimed that he can do math. <laughs> uh, and I, I got a door prize as well from one of my donation hours. I, I got a beginner's uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which I know nothing about. So should make for at least one fascinating di- dinner party at some point. It's Stranger Things themed. Mm-hmm. So that's extra cool. The gentlemen that were doing their podcast during that time, God, it was a Matt Damon uh, on Jimmy Kimmel situation because they had this new promo they made for the, the live stream for The Cure. And every time it was trying to be played, someone would donate or something came up. So they kept having to restart it and go from the, the top. You know, I was nervous about that, about the fact that every time somebody donates, they, they play the little donation mm-hmm. uh, theme. And because I was like, man, is that going to like throw us off? Is it going to cut our flow whenever we're doing our thing? But it was actually the opposite because it really just re-energize you yeah it was, it was really cool it was rewarding made me happy to hear that yeah at the same time and i'm sure it happened to you like when we were done i crashed like i was at the end of a marathon and we only did like an hour yeah so i can only imagine like nick and dan and everybody else that had been there for three days how how exhausted they must have been and when we got in uh the green room for or the waiting room for our turn dan called me Bebe and He's like, Julio wouldn't get that reference. And I was like, no, he would not. Uh, but all that, again, we want to send all of our thanks out to uh, Dan, Nick, Justin, everyone that had part in that, and also everyone that listened during our hour. And those of you who donated during our hour, we, we got a little something special for you as, as well. As promised. As promised. The unrated Blu-ray of the unrated version, not the Criterion. We're still waiting for the release of Basic Instinct 2, but... Uh, it comes with this fancy cardboard sleeve. Julio and I are both going to put our Herbie Hancock on it. Uh, viewed only once, <laughs> presumably ever. <laughs> it's. I think it's a great movie to have playing in the background at a party that doesn't include any children. Yes, preferably. Yeah, maybe your New Year's party. You just yeah. have it. Every now and then you look and see Sharon Stone showing some leg. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we'll have a Blu-ray copy of Basic Instinct 2. We'll throw in our notes from the uh, recording session. Uh, and then uh, apparently this we didn't know, but uh, Nick said that they are adding a copy of Basic Instinct 1. So your weekend plans will be set. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can just do, just marathon the Basic Instinct franchise and uh, and just go to bed and have happy dreams. All right, so we're using wheeldecide.com, which I've used for training exercises in the past at my shoot job. Got everyone in line here, everyone revved up here that donated. So, All right, so the people that donated during our segment and therefore qualify for this raffle are Dan Brennick, Jarrett Taylor, Steve from Everything I Learned from Movies, Chris Yeeney, Afterburn739. Uh, that's That was a podcast that was... Coming in later that day. So they donated $7.39. Uh, Tasha Crow, Sam Hurley, Scott, just Scott, no last name. And like finally, Prince. yes, 
the Scott, <laughs> the artist formerly known as Scott, and finally interrupted Tails. So we've entered all of uh, these names and aliases in the into the database, and now Alex is gonna push the button and announce the winner. All right, we do have a winner, and it is Chris Yini. Congratulations, Chris. So sorry, Dan. I know you had your heart set on this just so you could gift it to Nick, but alas. Yanny, Yanny, I do apologize if we're mispronouncing your last name, but congratulations, Chris. Chris, Get good a per- job. personalized autograph there on the uh, Basic Instinct 2 Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, Dan, just find a lamp, rub it. <laughs> you said your, fi- your first wish would be to get Basic Instinct 2. All right, so that brings us to the lecture at hand, and it is time to discuss Aladdin, 1992 Disney classic, uh, again, or so it would seem. I mean, yeah, I don't want to. I want to even start with the hot takes right away, but but to call it a problematic uh, classic, I'm not saying that this is on the level of uh, whatever movie they had with blackface on it, but but there are some issues now in the year 2019 as South. we look back. Yeah, that's it, right? Briar Rabbit. Well, and did like some racist crows in Dumbo. Yeah, I mean, early, early Disney isn't necessarily the tale of a United Nation. But this is the 90s. This is 90s Disney. Yeah. And speaking of 90s, this movie comes in at a very high 94%. Not the highest we've ever done, but definitely in the upper echelon. Meaning that some people were just absolutely gaga about it. Uh, and seeing as how... It was the first ever animated movie to cross a box office return of $200 million. Not cross it, but just left the line in the dust. It's Obliterated. Clear, it's clear that a lot of people cared for it. So what were people saying about Aladdin? Yeah, the, and God, this better be the real one, not the, your bullshit coming out on Friday. <laughs> Dude, there, there's, there's no reviews. There's no percentage for that one yet. Yeah, I know. The embargo's not up yet, which... Will Smith's first wish was uh, <laughs> don't lift embargo until after. Until the Thursday. Open. Yeah. Um, all right, so I got three quotes from fresh reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, starting with Rob Thomas. We've used Rob Thomas before. I always make uh, the Smooth. glorification, not the musician and not the, the Veronica Mars showrunner. Hopefully. I don't know. Uh, but Rob Thomas from Capital Times, Madison, Wisconsin, says, one of those rare animated films that really is for all ages. Uh, Michael Duquina from TheMovieReport.com says, let it share its whole new world with you. Yeah. Cheesy. And finally, Kevin Carr from 7M Pictures has a really hot take. Disney's last real masterpiece. He just threw everything Disney has done Man. from is 92. That dated when that was? I can tell you. But even that, I mean, that is just, do you, I mean, I guess I mean, that's, Lion that's, that's King more. King was after this. I imagine this is like more real talk than, than, than. He's Corner, probably one but, of these nerds that's like. Pixar does not qualify as Disney. Even if you disqualify Pixar, that is a bold statement. It's incorrect. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wish that, that he... Yeah, there's no year. There's no date. Sam and M Pictures. The theatricality. I mean, I'm as pretentious as it comes, but... Guys, if, you, uh, if you're friends with that guy, with Kevin Carr... Or lost on me. If you, if you care enough to Google him and just ask him. Uses, Why? Probably uses like a word like prodigious in his reviews. <laughs> Cock. It made my wishes come true. <laughs> All right. Alas. So, Aladdin is the tale of 
It's Jafar's story. So why is it called Aladdin? Because Jafar is the one true Middle Eastern person there. <laughs> and that's not going to sell. It, Aladdin is American, right? As far as this movie goes. <laughs> I can't tell you one way or the other, brother. But I'm uh, surprised that he has black hair. Jasmine is like the only smart person until she's not anymore. And then you think Jafar is smart until the end when he's a fucking idiot. So <laughs> He was drunk with power. He was. It got to his head, literally. Uh, but yeah, it's at least for the majority of it, the story of Jafar is what we're weaving in and out of. And Jafar is a royal visor. Uh, for the sultan of a fictional city of uh Agrabah? Agrabah. There we go. There we go. Uh movie begins. He is trying to get into a mystic cave, like it's this lost cave of treasures that is this giant tiger that will eat you if you're not worthy of getting in there. Apparently the picture that's painted is he's just been living on decades of convincing just local drunks to go in there. Basically his courier pigeons convinces them to go in, get this lamp for him, come back out, and they're just getting devoured whole. So Jafar, I agree that he is really the protagonist and he's really the one that makes the most sense here, but I have a serious problem with the fact that he needs this lamp. Because honestly, he's already the most powerful person in Agrabah. The 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 Sultan is a puppet. He's an mm-hmm. idiot even when he's not being hypnotized by Jafar. But if then, anything, you could argue that Jafar loses it when he gets the lamp. Right. And so I, I, I think I wish the movie had done a better job of explaining to me why Jafar needed even more power. Mm. He's all set at, at the palace. He Anytime that he can't manipulate uh, the sultan just by regular means, he can just make him stare into his cobra. The scepter. Yeah. yeah and, then, and then he just... Uh, hypnotizes him and gets mind controls him so why complicate like i mean i guess maybe he got bored he yeah just wanted some adventure i guess that's the thing we're led to believe this has been a long-standing tradition he has so maybe it's just you know the thrill of the chase i mean that's clearly what it is because he finally gets it and fucking uses it up <laughs> real quick uh, the mystic cave that is true. i don't want to jump too far ahead but really you think he would have thought it through? You know, it's been so long. He would have. He's thought. a dog chasing cars. <laughs> yeah. Once he gets there, like, oh, he shit. wouldn't know what to do if he caught one. Uh, meeting our main character Jafar and being informed that uh, he, he's be, he's told by this mystic cave of treasures that the only one that may enter is a diamond in the rough. So we know what he's looking after. This segues into a, the introduction to our titular character, Aladdin, accompanied by his best friend, a monkey Abu. And a couple of criminals. Immediately, what we see is them stealing and looting local food stands. This is a kid's movie. And it already just is basically endorsing criminal behavior. And they it, it all starts with a song. That that Disney way of manipulating you mm-hmm. and just trying to get you to support, get behind reprehensible behavior. Uh, it, it, that's all on display here. The guards are drawn to to look like brutes, like evil men. Whereas the thief, the guy that's stealing stuff, uh, it's just Tom charming. Cruise. Yeah, basically, he's he's athletic. He has a cute, uh, furry uh, sidekick, mm-hmm. and and he gets away with everything. The girls think he's hot, uh, and and he he just can't get caught. Oh, that's right. That one buxom lass. <laughs> Well, and then describes him as tasty. Yeah, yeah. But there's the other girls too, uh, which I guess I mean they're flirtatious, but they really they also kick him out of the. Mm-hmm. You know, he he jumps into a, I guess it's like a sorority or something. Mm-hmm. Or just a bunch of girls 
covering her faces, their faces, but but still giving him the eye. He gets away with this loaf of bread as the whole point of it is stealing it and winds down under the overpass somewhere. And there's two children there that are scrounging for food and he shares it with them. But I mean, again, let's not lose the message here. He still stole. I mean, it's it's the Robin Hood principle that he didn't steal from the rich either. It's no. not like oh, I'm stealing from the palace or whatever. That was just some Whoever vendor. Whoever stole from probably had to go home and <laughs> tell his wife, you know, we're not going to make rent this month. <laughs> and the way they depict Agrabah, that guy's probably getting he's losing a limb just for not paying rent. <laughs> Our female lead, Princess Jasmine, is just that the princess of Agrabah. Her father is the Sultan. Uh, what what's her father's name? I don't think they ever say. I think he's just the Sultan. The, the Sultan of... He is just the Sultan. Yeah. Uh, and and Princess... Played by Robert Loggia. <laughs> that cutscene where uh, him and Abu are, are just jumping on the big keyboard. <laughs> Jasmine is immediately vilified for being a woman that wants her own life. That's the introduction to the character. Yeah, but also hashtag princess problems. We just saw... How the other, how the ninety nine percent lives mm-hmm. on the streets, fighting for loaves of bread, and here she has everything. She even has a pet tiger. She's probably real upset that Starbucks didn't say Merry Christmas <laughs> on her cup the past year. Uh, yeah, but but she is getting uh, the raw end of the deal when it comes to marriage. We're not even told how old she is, but we're just that is a big that is a big question, important because really the age. Not just of Jasmine, but of Aladdin. It it changes how you read the story, mm-hmm. right? Because if she's a teenager, which you would think, because it's an old timey story, and they usually set them they were like really young. She was getting set for for marriage. Then it's like extra gross that Jafar wants to marry her. Yeah. Uh, if she's older, if she's an adult, then she's not she's not fighting back hard enough. No, uh, but the the whole theme of the story, the theme of this story arc is uh, resentment, not just towards her father, but tradition as the summation of it all is the local law says she has to marry a prince by a certain birthday. There's only X amount of days left. And she, she wants to marry who she wants to marry, wants to marry someone she loves. And he's just like, I don't care. If I was cynical, Alex, and I'm going to try not to be, but at the same time, I have to mention it. Um, I think the reason that we're not given an age is so that no matter how old you are, you can still think that she's cute and not feel guilty. She's Princess Jasmine. I've seen my share of uh, of Disney movies, and I think this is the most skin we see a princess show. Not just right away, but especially once we get into the Princess Leia outfit towards the end. Forgot about that. Been a while since I'd seen this, and I forgot that Jafar, again, similar to the Princess Leia Jabba the Hutt thing. It's not necessarily at her own volition, but she still has to wear this outfit. Yeah, and and so if if Disney actually specifically says that she is a preteen or a teen, then that's extra gross. But they're giving themselves that buffer where, oh, no, it's okay. She's actually in her 20s. We can objectify her now. <laughs> uh, essentially, the Sultan is fucking Chief Wiggum, just this affable moron <laughs> that's running the local village and... Jafar knows he's a fucking idiot and is just taking advantage of him repeatedly. Uh, he's got his staff, his scepter, whatever you want to say. It's got like a cobra head on it. And I don't know, there's some fucking gimmick inside of it that makes him go crazy. It's like one of those old shotguns you have. I think he just presses a button and it's like two rocks rubbed together in the back of it. 
and cause these sparks to ignite and it catches the ire, not the ire, but the attention rather of the Sultan leads him to just say and do whatever Jafar wants him to. Uh, now is as good as time as any to mention uh, Iago. Yeah, which the sidekick parrot of Jafar. How could it take? How did so Gilbert Gottfried exactly not have a lucrative, if not record-setting, box office career in animated film after this? But that is, I think, because I mean, look how long it took us to bring him up, right? And it, he's Gilbert Gottfried, so he's great. But they just stuck him in a thankless role. Sexual tyrannosaur Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> Given Michael Douglas run for his money. You know, he was, he was, it was between him and David Morrissey and Basic Instinct too. <laughs> but they decided to go British. Uh, but yeah, it's. I y- guess we'll never know. <laughs> God damn. <He's>, he- <laughs> it's going to be a while before I can crank. Just going to think of Gilbert Godfrey with a belt wrapped around his neck. Uh, He's great, but the movie just buries him uh, behind a parrot. And so you're recounting the, the you're recounting Aladdin's greatest hits when you're doing a summary of it. You don't think of Gilbert Gottfried right away when you should. Mm-hmm. Jasmine being confronted by Jafar, her dad Iago, uh, who is very glib to put it lightly. She gets pissed and just storms out of the castle because she wants to experience the outside life. So she just kind of puts a, a burlap sack of sorts on, goes out and roams around. Uh, and we get a meet cute with her in Aladdin. I can't remember. Oh, she, because she's a princess and so entitled, she just walks up to one of the fruit stands and just takes fruit and walks away. And then Aladdin has to come up and kind of save her from it. So there is, there's entitlement and there's just not knowing how the world works. Even if you're going under the assumption that she's a teenager, she has to have heard of how a market works. You don't just go and grab know. stuff. Michael Jackson had to pay people to come to a supermarket and act normal. So maybe okay. that's what was going on here. Some sort of big <laughs> socio-economical experiment. Um, She's like, "Why? where are everybody else's tigers? <laughs> Where's all the gold? <laughs> Aladdin helps talk her out of the situation. Uh, but then, as will become a reoccurring theme uh, in the movie... Abu just fucks everything up for people with his own greed. Why does he keep Abu around? I guess he's just he gets that him into more pickles than he does. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's some. This is a dangerous world. It, it, many times during during this watching of Aladdin, I wrote in my notes: Is this a kid's movie? Because some horrible shit happens or is threatened with happening. Uh, Jasmine was about to lose a hand. Mm-hmm. That is that is hardcore. not even by local law enforcement. It was just by some random the guy shop who owned the, the fruit store, uh, fruit stand over yeah. an apple. So, okay, even if you put aside what you're saying about the Middle East back in the '90s, this still that's a conversation you're gonna have to have with your kid later. It's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> if you steal in certain parts of the world, they cut your hand off. <laughs> that's PG thirteen. That's not PG. Wikipedia describes Abu as Aladdin's kleptomaniac pet monkey with a falsetto voice. <laughs> Spot on. They're evading the after evading the uh, store owner, but they're still caught for stealing. So they're chased down once more by the uh, local law enforcement after they they make it back to Aladdin's hideout or his whatever home, his apartment from HQ. the crow. Yeah, <laughs> Aladdin HQ. Uh, and local law enforcement breaks in. They're trying to apprehend Aladdin. This is the, I guess, probably the, the, um, the big line of this meet cute is, "Do you trust me?" And yes. So they jump out a window together, but of course it's a fucking 
brigade of hired goons, so they're able to take down Aladdin pretty easily and he's, haul him away. I guess he's the biggest threat in Agrabah. Yeah, I don't know where they that came every from. Every single person that that could wield a sword is after Aladdin in this scene. He's, I guess, the what happened before we came in was like a fucking son of Sam, Richard and Ramirez type <laughs> reign of terror that we were unaware of, and they've been on a total manhunt for. Him. We don't know how many people he murdered on his way to getting that loaf of bread at the beginning. Oh man, there's an interesting movie, <laughs> the Aladdin prequel. Yeah, Aladdin Reloaded. <laughs> <laughs> Jasmine uh, outs herself as the princess. They know who she is. She says, "I, you know, I order you to unhand him." Uh, unfortunately, the guards are operating under orders from Jafar, to which Jafar wants a execution to be carried out, or so he tells everyone. A beheading is to be carried out on Aladdin. Yeah, he he actually tells Jasmine that when she gets there, and she explains that she hadn't been kidnapped. That she that he was just helping her. Uh, he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, already cut his head off." <laughs> Again, kids' movie. Because if you're a kid, you don't know that he's kidding. No. You actually think that Aladdin just got his head chopped off. Beheaded he was not. He was thrown in the uh, dungeon, cave, whatever, underground prison of the castle. And uh, Jafar confronts him dressed up as an old man and coerces him into going into the Cave of Wonders. And it actually works out pretty well because he gets in without being eaten. He gives him the whole rigmarole, go in, get this lamb, come back to me, I'll get you whatever you want. I think he promises, like, some riches or rubies or things yeah, like that. Yeah, he tells him, with money, you can do anything, including marrying a princess. We meet, he doesn't really have a name, but he is a character in it, that's the magic carpet. <laughs> this is crazy, because you would think that this movie, by now, I, I should be used to whatever, right? We have a, a stealing monkey, uh, we have a talking parrot... We have a sultan that's hypnotized by staff. Um, there's a tiger that understands when you talk to him. <laughs> but I got to say, I just couldn't get behind the, the, the magic carpet, the anthropomorphic ornament, the core. <laughs> and when I was, when we were watching, I was like, what you, yeah, what, whatever you call it, it's just, it's just a little too, too much. It's too far. We also but, don't get the, its backstory, so we have no idea how it came to life. Right. And it doesn't help that Aladdin just takes it in stride. He doesn't even question. He sees it. He's like, oh, it's a magic carpet. <laughs> like, you already knew. <laughs> he had, I used to have one of those when I was younger. Yeah. I heard about those. He finds the, Lamp, it's this massive stairwell that looks like fucking uh, where the higher power in Force Awakens hangs out. Snook. I forget. Snook. Snook, yeah. But there is there is like a stairwell that leads to him. Stairway to heaven. Stairway to the magic lamp. Aladdin walks up and he's just like, this is it. Uh, meanwhile, fucking Abu just can't help himself. Finds a big red ruby. He's told specifically, don't fucking touch anything when you get in there. But... This sociopath grabs a ruby and causes almost imminent death for these guys, uh, including the magic carpet. As floor gives out from under him, it's lava. It does not look like a fun time. From outside, though, because we get a shot of, of the tiger, the tiger cave or whatever, just writhing. And it's like the tiger got acid reflux by whatever <laughs> Abu did. He's, he's about to swallow a lightning hole. But he's taking a sweet time because the, the previous guy, the guy that we saw at the beginning... He, he didn't have on. a moment. Was yeah, like, that was the, the fucking, uh, that old children's game where you pull the alligator's teeth out and you hit the wrong <laughs> one. It just chomps down on you. Yeah. So, I mean, if I have to try to explain it to myself, I guess that Aladdin has time because he's the chosen one because mm -hmm. he's the diamond in the rough. But then, then that leads to me asking myself, 
Why is he the diamond in the rough? What makes Aladdin special? And why was Jafar the first person to see it? Right. I mean, the movie never answers this uh, either by somebody telling you. And this is this is a movie where you could easily could have somebody He's just grab one. a book and just go like, oh, well, that's because this book says this. Yeah. Uh, but also by Aladdin's actions, he's he's kind of a dick through the entire movie. Nothing here says that he was worthy of of being given this extra time at the cave. Or he's to- especially a cock to Jafar. Like, there's a couple times I'm surprised they didn't fight. <laughs> so I'm curious why Jafar saw him as you know the ch- 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 chosen one. Yeah, I mean, you know who should have gone into that cave? Jasmine. Jasmine is smarter, at least at least smarter than Aladdin. At this point in the movie, yeah, yeah. Uh, Braver, more decent. Would have made more sense. Yeah. So the cave closes right before they're able to get out. Jafar reaches in. He's still under the guise of this fucking disgusting old man. He takes the lamp and then he basically tries to just boot him back into the cave while it's closing. Uh, Now, this is where Abu's kleptomania does come in favor, uh, in handy, as it were, as he does retrieve the lamp from Jafar before they're locked away for a supposed eternity in this cave. Um, Aladdin, having no idea what it is, looks at it like a fucking war ration and <laughs> thinks there's something written on the side, starts to rub it, and naturally... He doesn't rub it, Alex, and I have a huge issue with that because at the very least, you should get that part right. Everybody knows that you rub the lamp for the genie to come out. He mm-hmm. taps it. Doesn't make sense. It's like he's he he wants the genie to come out, so he's tapping like, "Hey, anybody there?" He rubs it to try to get some dirt off of it. No, that's what he says. But when you look at the animation, he's <laughs> tapping. He's like, oh, "There's something inscribed here. I can't tell." And then he taps. He just spanks it, <laughs> and out comes the genie, played of course by Robin Williams, who God bless him. Oh boy, is playing uh, a different character than anyone else in this movie. He is given free reign. We talk about people acting in different movies than everyone else, and this is definitely a definitive case of that. This is Robin Williams acting a different movie from scene to scene. (laughs) It reminded me a little bit of when... uh, No restraints. Yeah, when we did uh, Face Off and we commented on how uh, John Woo must have felt kind of unleashing Nicolas Cage and saying, yeah, you do whatever you want with this character. (laughs) It'll be okay. The same thing. The horror of just giving Robin Williams unlimited power and telling him, you can do whatever you want because we'll animate it. So it'll be fine. It's exhausting. And I'm an adult. I can only imagine as a kid, it must be the equivalent of drinking five large Cokes. <laughs> and also as a small child, the the references that are made, I, I don't think are. Uh, yeah. How many kids were like, oh, that's Jack Nicholson. Oh, Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> I'm just imagining a little kid. Ooh, Ed Sullivan. <laughs> Comes out, lays down the law as to what a genie does. He says that Aladdin's now his owner, can grant him three wishes, goes over the parameters of the wishes. The big caveats are can't bring anyone back from the dead, can't make someone fall in love with you. and uh, Can't wish for more wishes. Can't wish for more wishes. There was one more thing. Uh, can't kill anyone. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think he kind of saw the, <laughs> the danger in Aladdin's eyes. That was the first one. He had been locked away for 10,000 years, but even he had heard the uh, <laughs> the legacy of Aladdin that precedes him. So Aladdin, again, being a master con artist, is able to convince this genie to get him out of the cave without actually using one of his wishes. We've talked about how he lies, he cheats, he steals so far in the movie, but 
it's like uh, you know, those characters you see in movies sometimes are just like, why does anyone trust this person? Right. And I would believe that all right, that maybe Ted Bundy charisma about him. <laughs> maybe you got the genie this once, right? You're not gonna get him again. But but the genie continues to trust him, even after spending a fair amount of time with him. Later, when Aladdin goes back on his word, the genie seems surprised. <laughs> And that word being that his third wish will be used to free the genie. Yeah, because that's the only thing the genie wants. Because Jumanji has to be made at some point. (laughs) Jafar switches his focus. He thinks the lamp is out of the equation, so he figures that he's going to find a way to marry Jasmine so he can become the sultan himself. Um, And reads over like a royal proclamation or a local law that says, you know... If she is not to be wed by X birthday, then she will be handed over to the um, royal visor, the sultan's right-hand man, ostensibly Jafar. The sultan doesn't even put up a fight. He's just like, are you sure? Because you're really old. And (laughs) and then the staff comes and Jafar says, I'm 32. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you've done the Jafar voice, I really... By now, we've met the entire cast. Mm-hmm. The only person that sounds Middle Eastern is Jafar. I guess as a kid, you don't notice it. As an adult, it really threw me off. Because either do the accent or don't do the accent. Mm-hmm. What are you? Unless you're really trying to say something about some sort of divide between America and the Middle East in what the, the with the heroes having American accents and the villains having either Middle Eastern accents or sounding like Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> If you're not going to really get into that, then just don't do it. I mean, make Gilbert Gottfried Jafar. <laughs> Fuck, that would have been awesome. The first official wish of Aladdin is to become a prince. So, you guessed it. He's made a prince. They storm uh, Agrabah. There's a big parade to welcome him. Prince Ali. Fabulous he. Ali Ababwa. I mean, if you're between the ages of 25 and 80, I'm sure you've heard this song once or twice in your life. If you're Will Smith, apparently you've never heard it. <laughs> if you're Guy Ritchie. Hmm? <laughs> what? He comes into town. The Sultan finds this as great news. Uh, he finds him very cunning and charismatic. And, you know, there there can't be anything potentially wrong with this guy. Jafar sees through the bullshit right away and sees all the extracurricular that comes along with him. And is like, <laughs> this isn't a fucking dog and pony show. I take this post seriously. Yeah. The poor, this is the first time in the movie that I truly felt bad for Jafar. Because for all the shady things he may be doing, at least he... I mean, he's been ruling because the Sultan doesn't do anything. So, you know, Jafar is a man behind a man. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, he has the, the know-how to be a decent successor. Uh, Aladdin hasn't even thought about what happens once he marries the princess. Nope. <laughs> you know? And, and, but, Aladdin would make a, a fucking horrendous carpenter because he does not think two <laughs> steps ahead. Yeah. I mean, he literally celebrates in the climax. He's like, I'll improvise. <laughs> But here, so so I understand Jafar panicking at this 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 con artist bamboozling his way into the palace, uninvited. He just he writes himself and literally into mm-hmm. the palace. Uh, poor Jafar is just pushing against the door and gets kicked out. Literally being made to seem like the bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but the three men can't help the way he looks. <laughs> the three men begin arguing about the fate of Jasmine. Uh, essentially, who's going to own her? Who's going to marry her? <laughs> and Jasmine. In a brief moment of, you know, 
some woke 2019 action <laughs> says i'm fucking in charge of my own destiny i'll do what the fuck i want and leaves and then the three guys just kind of look back at each other and start pointing fingers as to whose fault it was so do you think that uh jafar's cobra staff it only works on the sultan because the sultan is such an idiot i think so I right, think because he would have used it on anybody else by now. He could have used the it. The Sultan on... would go to one of those fucking uh, televised church services <laughs> where the person like slaps you and the, the spirit of Christ comes over you. And the Sultan would be one of those guys that sells it and takes a huge bump <laughs> off of it. He's <laughs> <laughs> just convinced of whatever whimsy and wonder is placed in front of him. Aladdin comes back, or Prince Ali, as it were, comes back that night to approach Jasmine on her... Uh, uh, stoop porch patio out uh, overlook what whatever fucking vernacular you want to use for this she's just having a hard time at night but he just wants to approach her as a human it actually goes about it in a fairly respectable way he's still lying to her about everything but at least he's the first guy to kind of treat her like a human being yeah um now this is on both of them and and on the movie makers but how does she not recognize him she does no but she doesn't recognize him until he takes his hat off she oh, that does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, so she's looking at him uh, like he's a complete stranger, even though he is Aladdin. He looks exactly like the guy uh, that she met in Marketplace. <laughs> he should have had a Groucho mustache <laughs> or something. <laughs> Who, by the way, she thinks that he's dead. So, yes. So first off, when she recognizes him, she should – have a stronger <laughs> reaction <laughs> ghost right and, and, and secondly she should pick him like right away he's not even wearing glasses he's not even doing the clark kent thing yeah finally when she sees his hair she kind of gets a hint and then when he repeats do you trust me later yeah. on that's what kind of does it that's to get on the carpet and segue into i would put money on the most iconic scene of this movie the even it, more um, than prince lee so Guy Ritchie has heard of this one. Uh, I don't know. He's going to have Jason Statham perform it. <laughs> A whole new world. Uh, watching this, I realized that this really fucked up my sense of romance and love <laughs> as it's... a child. Because like I've always thought that's what you need. To know that you're in love, but not just you, girls too. Like uh, you know, the 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 girls, anybody that identifies with Princess Jasmine, you see her go from being this super strong-willed character that's like, "Well, I want what I want, and nobody's gonna tell me what to do," and then suddenly all it takes is a flying carpet, mm -hmm. and she's like, "All right," and then what follows a whole new world is basically Aladdin taking her shopping. Yes, and I decided watching this. I want that love. I want that mixed <laughs> with Kenny and April's relationship on Eastbound and Down, and that's what I, I want of love. So there's I will a, continue to look for that. There's a line in um, uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, the, the musical, where one of the guys goes, I just want somebody to love me for my money. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what Aladdin is doing here. They have a layover after their magic carpet ride, after seeing a whole new world, and this is where she does realize that uh, she's that he is Aladdin, excuse me. And this is in my notes. I said Jasmine is the only smart person, comma never mind, because he's <laughs> he's able to immediately convince her that no, I am Prince Ali. Aladdin's just my alter ego that I use when I want to get away from it all. When I feel like getting punched by guards, <laughs> I just when I feel Aladdin. like being nearly murdered for a loaf of bread. 
You know, sometimes it's the thrill of the chase. <laughs> it's funny we joke about this because what this segues to is that the truth is really eating Aladdin uh, inside out. It's really beginning to trouble him. And part of this, one of the repercussions of this is that he's not going to be able to free the genie. What's he going to have to use his third wish on? Well, no, his, he wastes his, his second wish. Oh, because on... they try to kill him. Right. Yeah. Jafar, instead of using magic, he just, he just sends some, some blockheads to, uh, to kill Aladdin. And tie the, a fucking ball and chain around his feet and make him sleep with the fishes. Yeah, but it's obviously he survives. It's a very inefficient way of killing someone. Mm-hmm. Um, because in this world of magic carpets and magic and whatever, why would you take a chance of him somehow surviving underwater? Why didn't they slit his throat and then dump the body in the water? There's just so there's such a wide margin for error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. And of course, through the most uh, ridiculous set of circumstances, Aladdin actually manages to to caress the, the, <laughs> caress the <laughs> That's really what it takes. If you caress the lamp, then the genie will will save you, even though you didn't ask for it. A soft cupping of the lamp. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then he just he has to basically. There's a not a loophole, but he kind of finishes the wish I, for him. I call bullshit on that. <laughs> that is that is horseshit. Uh, he says. I can't. He literally says before doing it. He says, "I can't help you unless you ask me." And then Aladdin's head falls down, and he's like, "All right, I'll take it." I say yes. I say yes to what? That's some dangerous assumptions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's not even conscious, genie. <laughs> so what then? What is his third wish going to be for now? For nothing. He's just. He, he literally. He tells the genie, "I just want to keep you around because without you, I'm just me." Oh, that's right. That's right. I, I need to keep these things the way they are now because eventually I'm going to get found out. He's like, but master, you said you were going to free me. He is a uh, Aladdin is Michael Fassbender. Oh, and, uh, and wow. the genie is uh, Chewittle Ijafor. I'm not even going to go there. But yes. <laughs> the movie goes there. Robin Williams. Jafar spins the, the third act calling the genie a slave. Robin Williams is crushed to say the very least. Aladdin is summoned away as the Sultan is proclaiming to the city. Uh, well, first he he unmasks Jafar. Jafar goes like, "Hey, uh, we're gonna get married now," and she's like, "No, I want to marry Prince Ali." Oh yeah, and, and Jafar's smarten, like, "Oh, he's dead." No, smarten, he's not. He smartens up the Sultan. That's right. He comes back in, uh, blows the roof off the Jafar's entire evil plan. The part is though that the Sultan knows this, but he does nothing about it. He still says, "All right, Jafar, back to work. Business as usual." <laughs> That, that's why Jafar pulls a Batman, because he has that, that little vial, and then he, he throws it and makes the smoke and disappears. So after this, the Sultan finds out that Jasmine and Aladdin are in love. They are to be wed. So then he goes to proclaim it all to the city of Agrabah, let everybody know what's going on. Aladdin uh, goes there to tell Jasmine what really is going on, that he's really just a fucking scrub. Uh, point of the story is he left the the lamp back in his loft or back in Jasmine's bedroom like wherever an they idiot. were. Iago runs in, he's able to apprehend it, gets it back to Jafar. Jafar rubs it and again like we talked about at the beginning of the movie, for someone who's presumably been waiting decades for this, he has no patience whatsoever. <laughs> he treats it the way a 5-year-old would. Yeah, his two wishes that he makes almost consecutively are almost the same thing. They are. 
<laughs> he would have been able to save some time if he just said, just make me the most powerful person in the world right away. Right. Then he would have automatically taken the castle and everything. But no, first he asks to be the, the sultan. sultan. And then he asks to be a king. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> what happened, Jafar? <laughs> I really overshot it with the, or I really undershot it with the Sultan wish. <laughs> I'm surprised that his third wish was not like, I would like three more wishes. And then the genie goes like, I told you, no. <laughs> so he becomes all powerful. Uh, Aladdin, the magic carpet, and Abu are transported to some remote mountaintop. Uh, Once again, why not kill him? Why would you? You know, Aladdin somehow has you managed know the, to survive the an hour. Of Jafar at this point is all right. He's escaped death twice already, but he's not going to escape it a third time. Third time is the charm for me. So Jafar becomes Job of the Hut here, as he has the Sultan pretty much tied up. Yeah, he's got him tied up to marionette strings. And yeah, he's wearing a jester costume. Yeah, and Iago's just force feeding him these dry biscuits that the uh, the gimmick throughout the movie was the Sultan would give them to Iago and he had to pretend like he liked them. And then Jasmine is in the slave Leia outfit, uh, and Jafar's just calling the shots. And the kingdom uh is a bit darker and more brooding now. The But also sunlight is gone. Somehow unemployment has gone down. <laughs> it's a bit of an economic boom <laughs> now that Jafar is able to rule uh, he may be disgusting, but he has a way with numbers. <laughs> the genie, obviously not happy with what he's doing. Aladdin is back to save the day, because why be here otherwise? He takes his sweet-ass time trying to... <laughs> he's going after the lamp, I think, to kind of take back the genie. He gets distracted by uh, El- Jasmine's super convincing seduction of Jafar. That's right, because Jafar, for his final wish, asks that Jasmine fall madly in love with him, and that's where genie has to explain, I can't do that. But Jasmine, I guess, kind of going back to being one of the only smart people in this movie, is able to, you know, kind of flaunt and flirt and do what she needs to do. But She's yeah, like, I'll take one for the team, guys. Yeah, and she grabs him to kiss him to occupy the moment. And the moment that Aladdin should have used to pounce, he's there with, like, a gobsmack <laughs> jealousy on his face. Everybody. Not just Aladdin. Abu, Yago, the genie. Everybody stops what they're doing and just watch. <laughs> the I think Yago's like, ugh. <laughs> So Jafar is aware of what's going on, so he traps uh, Jasmine in an hourglass. It's actually a pretty cool villain moment, if I'm being honest. Uh, Traps her in a massive hourglass and says Aladdin has this X amount of time to save her, and he becomes a giant snake. Anyone who's played the SNES or uh, Genesis game will know exactly what we're referring to. Begins fighting with them. Aladdin gets a few good shots in. He shouldn't, though, because Jafar is pretty much Mm -hmm. all-powerful. He's the most powerful it's, man in the world. Right. So why isn't this fight over in half a second? <laughs> he has the power to trap Jasmine in an hourglass. He turns Abu into a toy monkey. He unravels the the uh, magic, magic carpet. carpet. He turns the uh, Raj uh, the oh, into a, the into tiger, a baby into tiger. A, into a little kitten. He probably off screen gives the Sultan a heart attack. He can do anything he wants. And then he's just playing with Aladdin. No, he, just put a, he put a mirror in front of the Sultan, and the Sultan <laughs> became hypnotized, not knowing what he was looking at. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> I can just picture uh, uh, Iago playing peekaboo with the Sultan. <laughs> Where did the parrot go? Uh, it's it's just disappointing because they've they've built up Jafar as this cunning uh, adversary, 
And suddenly he becomes an idiot the moment that he actually has power. Just starts coming apart at the seams. And it looks like he's about to kill Aladdin. He gets wrapped around him much like a snake would. And uh, Aladdin, in one last desperate attempt, to, he plays off Jafar's ego. And at this point, you know, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that it fucking worked. Because he says, you know, you'll never be a genie. You'll never be as powerful as you think you are. So his final wish is he wishes to become a genie. Not thinking it through at all. <laughs> Worst three wishes ever. <laughs> Jafar, come on now. What a waste. Even Aladdin, who's not the brightest bulb in the room, he made a better use of his three wishes. Oh, absolutely. And, and he hadn't been thinking about this for decades. And he still had one left. And so he becomes a genie for all of 30 seconds as... Aladdin says to him, you dumb motherfucker, you want to be a genie, that means it comes along with all the trappings. You're a fucking slave now. Until you find a master, you are bound to this lamp. So the clamps go on his wrist, and he is sucked into the uh, lamp Character for assassination. presumed eternity. Yeah, he even uh, he takes Iago <laughs> with him. That's great. Because Iago has that line, he's like, oh god, I gotta get out of here. What does that mean? That, uh, that Iago is also a genie, and they're sharing a lamp? I don't know. Or does Jago does Jago just die? Because he's not a genie. He's not like a mystical being. So how is he inside that tiny lamp? No telling. He just became a liquefied parrot once he went in through that spout. It's like uh, Scott Calvin's son in the Santa Claus explaining how he just becomes gelatinous to get through the chimney. So our bad guy has been vanquished, has been occupied, has been locked down. Genie takes that lamp and throws it way the fuck out into I think even beyond the the uh, cave of wonders. That seems irresponsible. If I was the genie, if I was anybody, I would like to know where that thing is at all times. I wouldn't just randomly you can put it in a lockbox. Right, right. It's the Mueller report, man. <laughs> and Jafar comes out all redacted, <laughs> all these black lines across his face. We learn that Jasmine and Aladdin are truly in love with each other, but that doesn't change the fact that he's not a prince. Which is, come on now. If, I don't like the guy, but he I guess he just saved all of you. So wouldn't you make an exception for that reason? So Genie tells him, you know, you have one wish left, so I can make you be that prince again. And in an actual act of selflessness, Aladdin grants the Genie his freedom. Uh, but I think, again, he's wised up at this point to how... Uh, much of a doofus and gullible and affable the sultan is. So he's like, if I just prey on his emotion, then he'll figure it out and he'll change the, the law, which is exactly what he does. This is the sultan realizing what life is when you don't have an evil <laughs> right-hand man controlling you. It's the Grinch giving all the toys back. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then it hit me. As, as this was happening, and Aladdin frees the genie, and the genie playfully refuses to, to grant him any more wishes, and mm -hmm. then he, you know, just celebrates the fact that he's now free to go do whatever the fuck he wants, that maybe that was not a smart move. You just unleashed a supremely powerful being with no restrictions whatsoever anymore out in the world. He can do whatever he wants, and right now he's Robin Williams and he's happy, but what if that changes? What if something pisses him off? It's legit. He's Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah, literally. And and he's just he's just out there. Maybe there was a reason why he Dick was trapped swinging in the, in the wind out there causing chaos, smarting off to people, cracking wise. I, I mean, didn't even we, think of that. We got Robin Williams on a good day in Aladdin. <laughs> what happens when you get Robin Williams cranky? He's had one too many at the bar and just someone's <laughs> fucking with him and he just vaporizes him there on the spot. 
and he he we know he can't bring anybody back from the dead, so there's no do overs there. The law has changed. The princess can now marry anyone that she chooses or deems fit to be a prince, and of course she deems Aladdin to be that. So, genie's freed. Uh, Abu, the tiger, Raj. He's a, he's I a monkey again. Yeah, right. That's I, I guess we forgot to mention that that. And As I, part of the prince transformation, he's transformed into an elephant. Which is a really cruel thing to do to a monkey. <laughs> I understand it looks cool for the Prince Ali. Their bone structure's <laughs> not made for it. Yeah. Well, can you imagine you're used to being this this tiny little agile creature, and then now you're this huge... <laughs> it, it's it's actually pretty impressive that Apu is not just... Traumatized. Right, freaking out the entire time. Happily ever after. Fade to the sunset. Fade to black. Or no, we fade to blue, and then uh, we get the genie tearing up the film, saying "Made you look," which is apparently is also his last line in uh, "Good Morning Vietnam." Really? Yeah, I've I don't seen... know if there was like the intended correlation between the two. I've seen "Good Morning Vietnam." I don't remember. I mean, you can make the argument that Aladdin is its spiritual sequel, but <laughs> it is Robin Williams talking a lot. What else do you need? I, there's a there's a plot hole that bother. I mean, there's a lot of plot holes here, but. I think that once you get into the business of wish granting, it's a little bit like time travel where it just it's not going to hold up, man. <laughs> and, it, you know, you can try really hard and, and, well, more likely if your movie's good enough, we'll forgive it. But this movie's not good enough for me to get past the loopholes. The main one is why isn't why doesn't the, the wish count reset when Aladdin gets the, the lamp back? I guess so. Must- and even then, if it's such a big deal. Right? Why does he have to choose between being a prince and, and freeing the genie? Because he could give the lamp to Jasmine, and then now Jasmine has three wishes. <laughs> so Jasmine could wish for, for Aladdin to be a prince. She could wish for like an awesome steak and then free the genie. <laughs> if they want more wishes, she could give the lamp to her dad, and then the sultan could wish for a brain. <laughs> he could wish for a right-hand man that knows what to do and is not evil, and then he can free the genie. Nobody ever thinks of these things. He could wish for what he perceives to be the most complex piece of machinery in the galaxy, and that would be a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Tell me how to solve this. No, also, that would be it. He would have the Rubik's Cube, and he would ask the genie, <laughs> my wish is that you solve this. Uh, that and uh, and fresher crackers. <laughs> <sighs> That's a classic. Aladdin. It is. It's a tale of... Uh, White people in the Middle East. I was going to say as old as time, but that, that came a year prior to this. <laughs> All right. You ready for real talk? I am a spent force at trying to be negative about this movie. I can show you the world Shining, shimmering, splendid Tell me, princess, now when did you last let your heart decide? I can open your eyes Take you wonder by wonder Over, sideways, and under On a magic carpet ride A whole new Fantastic point of view No one to tell us no Or where to go Or say we're only dreaming A whole new world 
and we are recording for Real Talk for Aladdin. I'm quite upset with Julio right now. Right before we recorded, he showed me the footage of the live-action Aladdin Prince Ali musical number. Listen, it's it's out of context. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason why. Oh, it's definitely out of context. Maybe the, the setup for this scene is that the the genie just he was drugged right before. <laughs> They had to go into so the city. He has to exert minimal effort during the uh, rendition of the song. It's like uh, that movie with uh, Crank, where uh, if his his heartbeat goes <laughs> up too high, then he he dies. It's uh, Last Tango in Paris. They had to write the lyrics to the song on the elephants and stuff they were using, <laughs> so Will Smith could keep up with it. Uh, what we're discussing now is though the all time Disney classic, and uh, I guess it wasn't it. it it was a bit easier than I was expecting to to be to feign negativity about it, but still difficult to do. As I think, in my opinion, this is up there with like Pulp Fiction and uh, Modern Times as far as like the best movies we've done on the podcast. Wow! Yeah, wowie, <laughs> yowie, wowie. Okay, so Aladdin was released on November twenty fifth, nineteen ninety two. Had an estimated budget of a little under thirty million. Made a box office return of over five hundred million. It was a towering inferno. It, of course, was part of the Disney, uh, the uh, Super Nintendo Genesis generation had the Disney trilogy, which was Aladdin, Lion King, and Toy Story. Uh, they had other games. Those are just the ones that I increasingly difficult. Oh God, yeah. There was a Beauty and the Beast too, which I guess came out before Aladdin, mm-hmm. and uh, that was not easy either. I actually don't remember having much trouble with Aladdin, but I think that Aladdin might have been. The only one out of those that had adjustable difficulty. So maybe I uh, beat it on easy first and then moved on to medium and so on. It was like the other ones, it was hard or nothing. Up your game, up your game on it. Uh, so we'll go a little bit different. This, uh, uh, Yeah, let's just say it spawned a 2019 live action remake that is coming out on Friday that stars uh, Will Smith as the genie, directed by Guy Ritchie. Uh, and. Uh, as I was telling Hulu, Nassim Pedrad's in it, and I was a big fan of hers on Saturday Night Live, so I'm glad that she's in a movie that will undoubtedly make at least $250 million, probably. It looks like she is either Jasmine's daughter, or not daughter, Just- sister, or uh, her... Stepdaughter. Her- it's real kinky shit. <laughs> she's Jafar's daughter. <laughs> or maybe she's just like her maid in waiting. Either way, her addition, the addition of her character to the movie just added an extra 30 minutes a runtime. So since I'm going to be focused pretty much positively on the remaining portion of this podcast, I'll just say I have no interest in seeing it. Uh, I joke kind of to certain extents about how it hurts my feelings and I take personal offense to it. And that's going to come naturally. I'm not going to start a petition on it or anything like that. But Aladdin played an enormous part in my childhood. Uh, obviously, the video game I mentioned. Also, uh, I had a, a genie figure that was part of my uh, wrestling universe, and the genie was bigger. That than is all, awesome. Was he was bigger than all the wrestling figures? So he he would always come in and just wreck shop on everybody. But was he using his powers, or was he just wrestling? He was just wrestling, but he was bigger and like stronger than everybody. So he he won <laughs> all the time. Oh, look! Here's another plot hole that I didn't bring up in Contreras Corner. Aladdin is supposed to be strong, as strong as you know, ten regular men. Mm-hmm. How did he get subdued so easily? <laughs> When you know when they throw him in the water, he should be able to kick everybody's ass. Yeah, I forgot. Well, they do billy club him in the back of the head. Strong as ten regular men, he can take that. And still those aren't fight. regular men, though. Like you said, they're brutes. <laughs> they're big. 
He can handle okay, so, maybe if there so was like three as, of as them. Five of those. As strong yeah. as five of those. So even if you cut it in half, that's still. I think there were six of them. <laughs> so uh, it's like n- almost Aladdin. Whatever my specs there, made a crushing five hundred million. Trivia, interesting little tidbits and factoids I came across, and I my dad watches with us because my dad is a humongous Disney person. Uh, the thing I shared with both. He and Julio was, uh, because Robin Williams ad-libbed so many of his lines, the script was rejected for Best Adapted Screenplay uh, and Academy Award nomination, which hilariously, uh, this was before even the podcast was founded, that was my argument of why Bridesmaids shouldn't have been nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And that's probably the reason why uh, Judd Apatow's movies have never been nominated for <laughs> Best That screenplay. and uh, Common Logic. <laughs> <laughs> that and the fact that... The world is not overwrought with demons. Mr. Apatow, this is just your wife's diary. <laughs> this is a Waffle House napkin that just says <laughs> Paul Rudd. <laughs> uh, during the course of recording the voices, Robin Williams improvised so much that they had almost 16 hours of material. God. What a talented man. This one was good. I thought you'd like this. I'm not sure if you even knew this. Scheduling conflicts with Star Trek The Next Generation forced Patrick Stewart to turn down the role of Jafar. Holy shit. That would have been awesome. He has said in interviews that it is his biggest regret. So, would that... I mean, we'll never know, but would that mean that Jafar would sound like Captain Picard or that Jafar would sound like Patrick Stewart doing a Middle Eastern accent? I don't know. I think it would be that big Patrick Stewart. I I think... I don't know if he would really have gone all in on the Middle Eastern. (laughs) It would have been definitely imposing. Uh, the film became the 14th and the first animated movie to gross more than $200 million. While recording this movie, Robin Williams frequently received calls from Steven Spielberg. This is so fucking weird. Who is at the time working on the Holocaust film Schindler's List. He would put Williams on speakerphone so he could tell jokes to the cast and crew to cheer them up. Some of the material that he used was material that he was using for the film. That's awesome. It is. It's a fascinating kind of roundabout way. It's another world, really. I can't think of, if I'm in a situation where I'm bummed out, I don't know that I can call somebody to just, hey, can you make this whole room laugh? (laughs) Tim Curry, Kelsey Grammer, John Hurt, Christopher Lloyd, and Ian McKellen were all considered for the role of Jafar. Danny DeVito and Joe Pesci were considered for the role of Iago. I thought you were going to say Genie. Albert Brooks, John Candy, Matt Fuhrer, John Goodman, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, and Martin Short were all considered at one point to be the voice of the genie, which could definitely see Eddie Murphy doing that. Yeah, but still, how can you outdo Robin Williams? You couldn't. Oh, impossible. The big thing is, too, that I'm going to get to here. uh, Everyone else in this movie was pretty much career voice actors in their field. And because there's really not a name besides Robin Williams. And still, even if it even if it was like fucking Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, you know, John Travolta, it still would have been the Robin Williams show at the end of the day. Uh, winding down here, a few uh, one that I never knew about or never really read about was Robin Williams provided the voice for the genie at a union scale rate, the lowest legal pay rate for a studio that they can give an actor on the proviso that his voice was not to be used for merchandising toys and such and that the genie character would not take up more than 25 percent of the space on the poster ad or billboard or trailer when these wishes were not granted he withdrew his support for disney and the film as a result his name was not included in the art of aladdin book it makes constant references to the voice of genie 
and he was not available for the direct-to-video sequel Aladdin and the Return of Jafar, or Aladdin's TV show, uh, Dan Castellaneta, Homer. Homer. Filled in as a voice for the genie uh, on these productions. In an attempt to get back on good terms with Williams, Walt Disney CEO Michael Eisner apologized to him with a peace offering of an original Pablo Picasso painting. Still angered and feeling betrayed by Disney, Williams would not accept the gift. It was not until Disney chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg was fired and replaced by Joe Roth that Williams returned to Disney. Through Roth, a public apology was given. Promises to right wrongs were kept, and Williams was so touched that he returned to reprise his role of the genie for the second direct-to-video sequel, Aladdin and the King of Thieves, which I did not know that he was in. I haven't seen it. Disney was so thrilled that they threw out all of the previously recorded sessions with Castellaneta. (laughs) Poor Homer. I know. That explains why Return of Jafar, like the genie, is a complete idiot. (laughs) Seeding donuts and just go, dope. (laughs) Uh... This was a line I popped huge for in the movie. Like, I've always thought this was funny, so reading this made me happy. When Iago pulls out a picture of himself and Jafar out of his cage, the line, uh, and says the line, and uh, how about this picture? I don't know. I think I'm making a weird face in it. (laughs) This was ad-libbed by Gilbert Gottfried, and uh, apparently, like, Robin Williams didn't know that line because they didn't record together. Right. So he didn't see it until the actual movies, and he, like, apparently, like, lost it during that when they watched (laughs) the movie. Um, and then lastly, a big thing. I don't know if you'll remember this reference at all, but this was like a huge thing when I was kids in like middle school and, uh, turning up the TV and pausing at the right part during the mid 1990s, a rumor began that alleged that during the balcony scene, Aladdin says good teenagers take off your clothes when he encourages uh, Raj. This was one of many accusations by moral groups during that period which tried to prove that Disney was subliminally promoting sexual promiscuity in its films. Film director insisted that Aladdin is actually saying, Nice kitty, take off and go on. One Disney animator, Tom Cito, backed up the statement by saying that the people responsible for helming the scene are deeply religious and would never deliberately add such racy humor. All subsequent copies of the film cut the line entirely to avoid any controversy. It's just kind of there's a few of those Disney urban legends when you're younger. and Yeah, I, I mean, I just remember learning about it following some cracked article or something where they're like the top five. Disney urban legends or whatever. Isn't it like the Lion King that says sex on the sky? Yeah. Or uh, When I was a kid, I was, it, people said it said fuck when it was the <laughs> leaves that blow out or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone in line or um, Little Mermaid supposed to get a boner at some point. There's uh, Beauty of the Beast. There's like the scene where uh, like Belle's giving him a blowjob. And, <laughs> and Chip walks in. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Uh, yeah, the whole thing with Robin Williams, he just kind of wanted to do this for a legacy thing from all I read. and that it was, Mission it was, accomplished. Yeah, no shit. What a hell of a movie, man. It's um, Before we go any further, though, at 94%, that does mean that there's 6% of people that have reviewed this movie that are wrong. So <laughs> what did they have to say? Okay, so the, the, there were uh, only, obviously, a handful of... Uh, of rotten quotes and most of those were dead links with no actual quotes it was just the the rotten splotch so what i ended up doing is grabbing uh two fresh quotes that are actually kind of backhanded compliments and then what actual rotten one um so josh larson from larson on film 
It, it's a it's a fresh quote. It says, while there's no doubt Williams brings a new level of energy to the picture, I'm not sure this Middle Eastern folktale is enhanced by a Marlon Brando impersonation. To which I say, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, this is funny, uh, Ed Gonzalez from Slant Magazine, this is fresh quote, if you're addicted to crack, you don't want to miss Robin Williams' shrill performance in this 1992 Disney monstrosity. It's a great deterrent. Monstrosity? Yeah. But then, it's also followed by a rotten quote from Ed Gonzalez, Slant Magazine, who says, it's ethnic white noise is really just an excuse for Robin Williams to put on the most elaborate narcissistic circus act in the history of cinema. Wow. Ed Gonzalez was so conflicted about this movie that he submitted two quotes, one rotten and one fresh. Because <laughs> I checked, they're all from the same year. In both which, he made sure to bury the film. Yeah. I wonder if he took the Robin Williams' genie off that pedestal when he watched This Is 40. <laughs> uh, of course, do need to make sure that it's known, because some people didn't know that Aladdin wasn't a Disney movie, or a Disney story, excuse me. It's a. Uh, it's like an 18th century old. It's uh It's part of the Thousand and One Nights, right? Isn't it one of the? See, I believe you're right. If I remember correctly, yeah. Good call, man. Good call. Um, Aladdin, fucking rules. Is it? So it's your favorite Disney movie? No, it's, ah. it's one of them though. So that's probably I have a. a a masochist or a sadist at heart. That's why I line up for these things. Cause Disney and like WWE is perfect example as a corporation does shit. That's really not cool. Has some really weird business practices and is very, very, very focused on just becoming the end all be all to where they own everything. So no one else can have a say in anything. Yeah. Monopolizing shit kind of sucks, but when you give me shit like Aladdin, I can look past a lot of that. Uh, when you when I go to Disney World, I can look past a lot of that. Looking around, I'm fine paying eighteen dollars for a hot dog. Uh, I knew what I was getting into. Yeah, with a movie like this, it really they don't pump them out like they used to, and that's kind of un. It's really unfair for us to like f- cross our arms and be like, "Oh man, not as good as it used to be." Because in within a five year span, they had fucking Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King, and so. Yeah, they're not cranking out the classics like they used to, but Disney is still Frozen is a good example of like they're still capable of just I, I masterpieces. Moana, Moana was great, but even if you just kind of look a little further, Pixar I think has had for the most part a run that's as good, you, if not better. Pixar as a film studio, you'd be hard pressed to find a film studio that has a success rate on their level. Yeah. Um. So. Not quite. I think if I did have to say a favorite Disney movie, because I'm not, I'm not going to decipher Pixar and Disney. I'll just say they're all part of the Disney blanket. So probably Toy Story two would be my favorite. Oh yeah, Disney movie. But ever. I, I separate them because that makes it easier for me. Otherwise, yeah, of course, Toy Story two. <laughs> <laughs> Toy Story two, Monsters Inc., Aladdin, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There's a couple of the older ones I really enjoy too. Uh, I like Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, Lady and Tramp, Aristocats. I like Aristocats more than 101 Dalmatians, but I like both of them. 101 Dalmatians is really good, too. Yeah, point B. Disney, uh, they've had more uh, home runs than strikeouts, <laughs> I'll just say. It also checks off all my boxes. Hopeless Romance, 90 Minutes on the Dot, Rodney Dangerfield Impression. It's got everything you could want in a movie. It definitely has... Um, there's nothing more frustrating as an adult revisiting a movie you loved as a kid and realizing that you only loved it because you were a kid. Like, there's nothing you can really enjoy about it as an adult. 
How old were you when you watched Aladdin? Uh, 92, so it would have been five. I probably, yeah, we would have seen it in the theater, so five or so. Um, it's like ingrained in your soul. Yeah. I remember the toys and shit, like at the time, that Robin Williams, I think, it, was it Burger King? One of the, it was either Burger King or McDonald's, obviously, had the, the Happy Meal toys, but that was like one of the quotes I read from Robin Williams. He's like, I don't want to be on a Burger King cup. <laughs> Uh, Oops. Yeah, sorry. If he was still here, I'd tell him that I used the genie toy to beat all my wrestling champions <laughs> when I was a little kid. Um, Some of the more memorable songs, I think. It's one of those two we were watching. It was like, oh, that's right. All these songs are from this. Prince Ali, Whole New World. Friend Like Me. Friend Like Me. The opening song, uh, which I can never remember what it's called, but the... Arabian Nights? No. Gotta Get Away. Man, 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 man. Oh, uh, One Jump? One yeah. Jump Ahead? Well, yeah, and I I am a big fan of uh of Jafar's version of Prince Ali as as a song and also as a moment in the movie. Oh, the big brooding like the, yeah, dark where he just unmasks Aladdin. Yeah, and you're like, finally, because this fucker needs to be taken down a peg. I think, at least as an audience member, I turn on Aladdin the moment that he doesn't set the genie free, mm-hmm. and so. It really, when, when Jafar puts him in his place, yeah, it sucks because the bad guy's winning, but at least, like, well, what did you expect, Aladdin? Hopefully yeah. this wakes you up. He had to have that one last lesson to learn. Uh, one thing we haven't touched on at all is, God, the animation's great in this. It was one of the first movies they, like, piloted the 3D animation for. Mm-hmm. Like the... Oh, he's escaping the cave? Yeah, and also just the cave in general. The Cave of Wonders, the big tiger head and shit. And at the end, like the climatic battle, uh, Jafar looks fucking awesome when he becomes a genie at the end. It's just good shit. And then there's that really scary shot of uh, Blue Genie when he's fucking, oh, when he's taking the yeah, the he's like palace. hulking up and shit. I don't know. I mean, we could spend a lot of time breaking down the ins and outs of why I enjoy it so much. I mean, uh, it's really funny. Although I think that it's really. That's what I was getting to. There's a lot of shit I, you could laugh at as a kid, but also like the Jack Nicholson impersonation, the Rodney Dangerfield stuff. There's stuff you're going to take away as an adult as well. I found, and this reminded me of how I I felt when I rewatched Gremlins for a Chris Columbus episode, where I used to love Gizmo, and then watching it as an adult, I'm like, ah, it's a little too much. <laughs> Abu, I, I, I like him better in this movie where he's not trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to. Lo- I thought he was so funny, and as I was watching him uh, tonight, I was like, "I like Yago better." <laughs> I was about to say, "What I love is the the balance," because you do have Abu there just acting like a fool for the kids and stuff, and because that is stuff you'll find funny as a kid, especially if he's like acting like a girl when uh, he gets the huge eyelashes and batting him at yeah Aladdin. But I guess it ha- it did show how long it had been since I had watched this from start to finish. God, Gilbert Gottfried's fucking hilarious in this. <laughs> the one bleed over from uh, Contrarian's Corner that I'm genuine about. It it seems like there could have been a bigger market for Gilbert Gottfried in animated movies. I mean, he, he replaces uh, Iago in the two sequels, I'm guessing. Well, at least on the second one. I, I don't know if he's... If I remember correctly, what I read was the one coming out this week is the only one where he's not Iago. Really? Yeah, it's uh, Alan. So he Tudyk. was in the so he was in the TV show, I guess. Mm-hmm. Too. Okay, well, see, he he made some money out of that. But yeah, his delivery is fucking great. Like uh, the one we both popped huge for was when he's stuck on the 
he's like, Jafar, I'm stuck. <laughs> that, and then when Jafar is disguised as the old man and trying to swindle oh, yeah. Aladdin, he like peeks out of his shawl and he's like, I'm burning up in here. <laughs> okay, so so the voice acting. I really, this is just, I don't care. I like the movie. I I, I even, I probably love the movie. I, but I can, I can see how now, 20 years later or whatever, it is a little weird that everybody sounds super American. white, yeah. <laughs> except for Jafar. I think that if you had Jafar sounding like everybody else, or even like Patrick Stewart, mm-hmm. then it would be just like, all right, well, that's just how you do it. It's like, like when you watch, I don't know, uh, what's that, that movie about the submarine where uh, uh, Harrison Ford is supposed to be German? Das Boot? No. <laughs> K9? Maybe. No, that's about a dog. I don't know. But, you know, he's supposed to be... Is it one of those Harrison Ford movies where he wants his family back? Probably. I haven't yeah. seen it. But I know that he, he plays, I think, a German guy, but he doesn't speak German. He speaks English with a German accent, which doesn't make any sense. But you accept that kind of stuff because it's a movie and it's part of the convention of the movie. Yeah. Same thing. I can, you know, if you make an Aladdin movie where everybody sounds like a white person, okay, well, that's fine. That's like the movie you were making. But then... When you're making a lot of movie where everybody sounds like a white person except for the bad guy, I can see as a kid, you don't get it. And as a teenager watching it, I think I couldn't even tell that they were different accents, probably. Yeah. Uh, and even as an adult, I don't think I even thought about it until somebody pointed it out. And then once it's pointed out, you're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of if you could redo it, you know, I, I would say, yeah, let's go one way or the other, not mm-hmm. split it. I can understand why somebody would be annoyed by that especially if they're middle eastern yeah and to be fair i know some of the lyrics for the opening track had to be rewritten just due to i'm not gonna say outcry but uh people found him to be people of middle eastern descent found him to be offensive so they were they did their petition they, they got enough signatures and jesus i don't think it was like that i think it was just like hey we're adults so let's kind of like talk about this like adults <laughs> they didn't reach the i don't know Hundred thousand signatures. Somebody grabbed Robin Williams from wherever he was. It's like, oh, they got the signatures, man. <laughs> they got two thousand retweets. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's also Robin Williams. What's a retweet? <laughs> I would hate to think it damages at all the legacy of the movie. It is definitely something you can call out, and also you can point to is saying it. It's pretty awesome that issues or perceived flaws like that have been corrected since then too it's a definite positive i think yeah that's that's one of those times where you have to think back and go like all right it was 1992 and it's 2019 and we're we're not making those mistakes or hopefully we're trying to make them less often so Mm -hmm. it's it's a good thing there is something yeah and, and it's yeah just like you said it's not enough to really deter from it it's something to discuss but it's not something that would ever make me not want to watch this movie yeah, again. Yeah, no. I mean, I had a great time. And like I was saying, especially once Robin Williams came in, I was I was laughing with Yago and I was having an okay time with uh, with Aladdin and the songs and whatever. But really, I think that once Robin Williams comes in, that's when the movie really comes to life. It's relentless, and, man. It doesn't give you any time to breathe. I mean, that was kind of his MO from a comedic standpoint, but it's true. I think this exemplifies it more than any of his... Uh, except for maybe RV. Jesus. Any of his uh, vehicles, comedy vehicles like Mrs. Doubtfire and Jumanji, and uh, while he's really good in those, it's just not to this extent. And this also, it allows for the full ridiculousness of him because yep. those movies don't. It's like 
yeah, he's still funny, but it wouldn't make any sense in Mrs. Doubtfire for him to do like seventy percent of the shit he gets to if do she, here. If she turned into a rocket and blasted <laughs> through the ceiling, I mean, that's kind of it's so it's art in, in such a weird way that you can't really. It's amazing that they can take something and you believe it just based on this dude's personality and deliverance and cadences of lines. It it, it just works so well. It looks amazing. It's it's a visual interpretation of Robin Williams' style of comedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's actually spot on because how he changes form every time that he changes voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, this movie taught me the term diamond in the rough. Which I had no idea. I mean, I watched it when I was fourteen. Mm-hmm. It was it was already. I didn't see it in theaters. I don't even know if it opened in Peru in theaters. But I was uh, it's just called Din. <laughs> yeah, I was I was visiting uh, my uncle in Guatemala, is uh, in vacation, and they they had a huge Disney collection, and I just grabbed like a random one. I grabbed Aladdin, and it was not subtitled, and. Uh, it was. I was pretty impressed that I could understand most of it because it was, I think, the first time that I watched a movie without subtitles. Oh, beginning really? to end. Yeah, it was. It was pretty good. So that I, that, I, that I found it funny and uh, everything, but I had no idea what Diamond Rough meant, and I had to ask him after. You know, I didn't have Google to like, mm. like <laughs> Google Translate, uh, and so I will always remember that. I was like, oh, Diamond Rough means this. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Aladdin just taught me something. <laughs> uh, that and then, like I said, just. Knowing that it it was it felt like such an accomplishment to sit through a ninety minute movie in English and understand pretty much everything, uh, and it was I made an illegal copy of his original videotape of Aladdin. Nice. I recorded it on my uh, on my video camera that was like one of those tiny uh, Super Eights, and I just carried that tape with me. And I was you know the entire every night that trip, I think I would just watch at least part of Aladdin, and then on my way back, I had a long like fucking 12-hour layover somewhere in Colombia, probably. Now I was by myself, and I watch Aladdin probably like at least two or three times <laughs> during the layover. <laughs> uh, so for a while, it was... And it was the first Disney movie I watched of the Renaissance. I hadn't watched Beauty and the Beast. I hadn't watched uh, The Little Mermaid. So it was a big thing. It was it really brought me back to Disney. After that, I checked out all the other ones and uh, and just kind of got back into the Disney groove. So... I that's the main thing for me. Aladdin is the one that brought me back to Disney. Not my favorite, probably. Fuck, I don't know. It's top ten, but I wouldn't even say it's top five. Okay. Uh, even with all that attachment, I mean, I think I put Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, ahead of it for sure. Probably Lion King too. I just think the it's really funny and it moves really fast but it doesn't the ending doesn't hit me as hard as you were telling me before we watched that do you like it's really emotional when he frees the genie mm-hmm. uh, and i can see it but it just never hits me as hard as the emotional moments in those other movies that's fair when you're saying all that uh i was like that's a cool story and then you said little mermaid and i was like oh fuck yeah little mermaid's video game was really hard too so that's for game Nintendo, gear though. oh well i, I played on the nes there was one on the NES. I had one for Game Gear, if I remember correctly. I wonder if it's the same one, though. They're like, God. you shot bubbles out of your tail? I believe so, yeah. It might be the same one. It's just the port to Game Gear, so I could be <laughs> frustrated on travel. Uh, Disney's still pumping out games, though. That was fitting. Julio got here today, and I was playing Toy Story on uh, PlayStation 3. So, uh, the Disney still owns everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aladdin, that was episode number 84. So, moving on, uh we've 
called some time out ago that 90 is going to be Devil's Advocate, the yes. Keanu Reeves film, uh, for our next Gray Area episode. So that leaves 85, 86, 87, 88, and 89 in the meantime. Uh, last summer, Julio, uh, brilliantly, uh, I'll say, convened our... Uh, it was a joint effort. <laughs> conceived is the word I was searching for there, the idea for the summer of Travolta that point we kind of bounced some movies around so i took the helm this summer as far as laying out our summer roadmap as it were (laughs) as we are going on the contrarian summer road trip uh so since this was a fresh movie we're going to be bouncing between rotten and fresh until we get to number 90 so what you can expect from the contrarian summer road trip is we'll be kicking off with the guilt trip which is uh, Seth Rogen, Barbara Streisand. Haven't seen it. I have not either. It stands at 37% on Rotten Tomato. Then we will be shifting over to Little Miss Sunshine, which is an indie darling from 06, 07, somewhere in there. Oscar winner. That's correct. And that's at 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Then uh, tackling a (laughs) seminal film, that unfortunately, up until this point in my life, I've never been able to sit down and watch. And that will be uh, Britney Spears' Crossroads. <laughs> Standing at a meager 14% on Rotten Tomato. Now, we're both Britney fans. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, I've never gone to a concert, but I, I feel like I was alive at the right time. I was of the right age to yes. appreciate. Yes, I'm nodding and like very, <laughs> very vigorously over here. Uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd plays your dad in that, so we're gonna have fun with it one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect the movie to be good, but <laughs> I would not either. Uh, for episode 88 on August 1st, the episode will be dropping, and I'm really excited about this. One of my favorite movies of all time. We'll be tackling Cameron Crowe's 2000 masterpiece, Almost Famous. In which, or from which, Kate Hudson got an Oscar nomination. Uh, and then concluding the Contrarian Summer Road Trip, we're going right back to where we started from last summer, revisiting our great friend Jonathan Travolta <laughs> as we close the summer road trip with Wild Hogs. Haven't seen it. I have not either. I haven't seen any of the rotten movies we're doing, but I've seen the fresh ones. It should be a good time. should be... a that's Tim Allen, Willem H. Macy, right? Uh, Martin uh, Martin Lawrence, yeah. It pa- was good enough that they made a sequel. <laughs> so pack a cooler, make sure you got some sandwiches, bring your board shorts, grab a boogie board. We're going to have a good time on the road this summer. Uh, winding down here, as we always do, plugs. Uh, we have the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. Uh, Last Stand opens us up, Summer 99 closes us down. Uh, their website is thefestiveyears.com. I found that the other day, so you can go there for all your festive years needs. Yeah, and also, but if you want the the new album, which I got now, Hell and yeah. I have to peruse the tracks and, and see what we spot might have to update, soon. Yeah. Um, the, I don't know, I couldn't find a way into their new album from their website, but I did find it on Bandcamp. Okay. And so... Either way, I guess you know if you just search for festive years, you find older stuff. Yeah, uh, but that was that's cool. I I downloaded all the tracks I have on my computer, ready to go. Excellent. Uh, and then our logo from our friends, our friend Hans Rodgieser, who has a podcast called Nacion Combi, uh, has a Twitter account, has 
email address and hotmail. You can find him at mildemonios at hotmail.com, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, Twitter, at mildemonios. You can ask him for logos, for comics. <laughs> he, he, he's an artist. He's a, he's a debater. That's what his uh, podcast is about. They talk about stuff that happens in Peru. Uh, if you want, he actually let me know that he has an actual website, uh, which is mildemonios.pe, P-E okay. for Peru. Makes sense. Uh, where, you know, you can find like all, all, all his stuff, all the, all the articles he's written, any reviews that he's written. So yeah, just check him out. Uh, if you need, like I said, logos or, you know, if you want to argue about Peruvian stuff or even Star Wars stuff, uh, he's, he's your guy. Uh, my plug for this week is through perusing Amazon Prime. I came across a broken lizard movie called The Slam and Salmon, which I had, I knew about very vaguely because I remember being at Walmart one time and seeing the DVD box art and just kind of looking at it quizzically. And I, I'm a huge beer fest fan, not as big on Super Troopers as everyone else, but I'm a colossal beer fest fan and really enjoy what they do. So, uh, and again, 90 minutes, Mattis Rule, hashtag Mattis Rule. Uh, Thought I could give it a spin. And basic premise is the Broken Lizard crew, along with uh, Robin Shrubotsky and another actress that I'm blanking on her name off the top of my head, are uh, wait staff at a restaurant that is run by uh, and themed for uh, a former boxing heavyweight champion who is played by Michael Clark Duncan. And if for nothing else, I recommend watching this just for his performance because he is fucking hilarious in it. Always did think he was a rather underrated comedic actor. Um, one of those guys, kind of like Philip Seymour Hoffman, was just so good at the other stuff that right. uh, never really got to flex his comedic muscle, but goddamn, he's fucking hilarious in this. So, Slam and Salmon, it's on Amazon Prime. I'm sure it's somewhere else, but. If you have some spare time and want a few laughs, definitely recommend that. 90 minutes. How can you not do it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I actually I didn't watch anything that I would like to plug. I was telling you uh, earlier that I finished Beasts of No Nation right before coming here. And I was like, I've, I mean, I'm glad I watched it, but I don't know that I would recommend it. Um, so instead, I'm going to just talk about what I'm reading. I've, I love Terry Pratchett. He's one of my favorite authors. He's really funny. Um, so he has this this series that's uh, the Discworld series, and it's basically a take, a fantasy take on a world that parallels ours in the mm-hmm. sense that um, I haven't read them in order, and even then I get a lot of enjoyment out of them. Every book usually has to do with some sort of big breakthrough in this world, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's a fantasy world, so it's kind of seeing our history, but with a fantasy tint. Like the one I'm reading right now is called Racing Steam, and it's basically about the invention of the of the locomotive in that world. Nice, but it's a world of trolls and goblins. <laughs> so it's it's a, it's kind of a warp reflection of ours. But there's a lot of really biting commentary about our way of life, and you know, of course, the introduction of the locomotive in this world suddenly upsets the way that the world works suddenly you have a, a way of getting from point a to point b much faster and and carrying more loads and so that puts out of business some people there's different special interest groups that find themselves fighting behind the scenes about how to control or how to stop this this force it's a lot of fun i haven't finished it yet but i hadn't read a terry project book in a while and it just uh it just felt good to read something that is just unadulterated pleasure and it's smart on top of that uh the last few things that i've read were either uh just 
not funny things. Fanfic. <laughs> no, not even not fanfic, but it was just like more serious stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, or or nonfiction. Um, and so finally, to be able to just relax and just have a laugh with something that's really funny and smart is is good. So, if you haven't read any Terry Pratchett, you definitely should. And like I said, I haven't been reading them in order. You can just in my obviously you get more out of it if you read them in order because he does have recurring characters and all that stuff but it's it's very accessible so I would say try Terry Pratchett Terry Pratchett's This World any pick any of the books and they'll be fine nice so that'll wrap up Aladdin you all need to gear up for the road trip that lies ahead for us uh, in the meantime we want to thank you all for joining us on The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we'll catch you next time No, my whole point with all this shit now, these I say this and I'm I'm gonna go watch Child's play in the theater when it comes out. So <laughs> but uh especially these Disney ones. Hulu and I were talking about it on Saturday, either before or after the live stream, about it'd be so much easier and you could probably find merit, not artistically, but also in what they would spend versus what they made for them to just restore Aladdin and release it in theaters for people to see. Like put it in 3D or some shit or give it some spin. Don't don't do the 3D thing. No, I'm I'm saying it's just <laughs> my point is my argument is they're not doing it in a play from a place of we want a new generation of people to experience this movie that meant a lot to people. It's just hey, we have these metrics that say if we remake something old, we're going to make a bunch of money. So let's do it. I think that's part of it, but I also think that if you bring somebody that has something to say i mean we when did we make this argument not too long ago where i was like well if you're gonna do a remake that at least does something new with the with the story then it's worth doing it Mm -hmm. and i can't i mean that prince ali uh clip sucks (laughs) but that's one minute out of 120 minutes of movie yeah they found (laughs) They found a way to tack 40 minutes onto Aladdin. Well, maybe 75% of those. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, the Aladdin in this live action version is less white than the one in the animated version. (laughs) So maybe that's something. No, I don't know. I I think that it could be. I'll wait and see. I like Guy Ritchie as a filmmaker most of the time. Maybe he'll bring something that's just not coming through in the trailers and in that clip. Um, It's going to make money. I don't. That's the other thing, too. It's. I don't really know that people care that movies are good anymore. And I mean the people that are making them and the people that are going to them both. I I can't. I mean, the Jungle Book that they did uh, with Jon Favreau behind. I mean, that's a movie that was it was different enough from the animated and it had something to say and it said it really well. You could watch that and enjoy the experience and then that will drive you to watch the, the animated one, which maybe will happen with this Aladdin one. And the Lion King one that's coming but out. That, that's not the point of it all. You're not supposed to watch this thing that makes you watch this other thing in terms of like how it used to be. Like That's the whole point of being a film fan of anything. I mean, the sequels and franchises, yes, but I don't fucking want a movie to... I want to discover that movie on my own. But how 
What if you can't? I mean, that's the thing. Why? How can you not like discover Aladdin on your own? There might be people that are just I'm not into it. I'm talking about fucking cannibal holocaust here. It's, it's No, but I'm saying some people might just not be into the idea of Aladdin. It's certainly not an animated Aladdin until they see the live action version. They're like, all right, let's check out the no, animated I have no one. time for those people. <laughs> you have, have no, no time for those millennials? <laughs> yeah. I have. Yeah. It, it just it seems so lazy. I'm not trying to shoot down your arguments for these things because it is that's there's some merit to what you're saying. It's just it's, it's just such, they're messing with your baby. Yeah, and it represents just a bigger thing. It's like well, here's the other. And we're it, so creatively it, bankrupt. Well, here's the other side of the argument, and that is that even if the live action Aladdin by Guy Ritchie ends up just being a vessel for a lot of money. Even if that just that's all it does, but it also allows Guy Ritchie to move on to a more interesting project now that he is once again a box office titan, mm-hmm. then it did something else. You know, it did something worthwhile. Or if it provides this is gonna sound ridiculous, but even if it provides Disney with a, enough financial stability to where they can take a chance <laughs> on a project that's a little riskier, then that's good. You know, I mean, I don't know how the accounting works on those big super productions and and the companies that that handle them but i imagine okay you got your shareholders you have to please them so you please them with the big sure hits and then whatever you have left you can use on the little movies yeah and you know well maybe those don't get seen as much but it's something it's a it's been a brewing bitterness that's just it's hitting an apex with this it's like you know i talked about how angry I was with the Friday the 13th remake and just how overall cynical I am just towards the, the film industry in general right now. It's all, re- we didn't need another Harry Potter, or, uh, not Harry Potter, fucking hell. That's coming, I'm sure. But <laughs> Oh, when? Uh, Mary Poppins is what I meant to say. Despite the fact that I enjoyed it, you don't need it. You can make something else. You know, all these things that are coming out are either superhero movies or reboots or remakes of some sort. Didn't need another Ninja Turtles. That movie could have gone somewhere else. Don't need fucking... We're already rebooting Transformers and Spider-Man for the third time in the past 20 years. If they're different enough from the previous ones, I welcome it. It, To me, the reason I'm so animated, no pun intended about it, is just (laughs) this. it's a movie that means a lot to me. And it's just like, fuck you. Do something else. Do something that actually requires a bit of like moxie and energy. But I know it's not going to happen because, like I said... They have numbers that say this works, so do this. Uh, I remember having a it very similar like... argument with uh, with a friend a long time ago when Madonna had her uh, American Pie cover, mm-hmm. and and she was like, "This sucks. This why is she doing this?" And I was like, "Well, the original still exists, and either somebody will hear the Madonna version and be like, oh, I wonder what the original sounds like,' and." like the original or they won't like the Madonna version but they'll hear that there's a completely different version that was done mm-hmm. first and then go check that out so it's kind of a win-win scenario it's amazing in how neutered things have become over the past few years I was actually just thinking about this the other day it's like Spring Breakers Pain and Gain and I know admittedly we don't like Wolf of Wall Street at all in this <laughs> podcast but those three movies uh, I think it's because me and Reed were talking about it former podcast guest those three movies were all in the same year and represented this really weird theme of excess and egotism and things like that. And as far as from a mainstream perspective, it really doesn't seem like anyone's taken risks on projects like that since. And there's a there's a new Scorsese coming out this Scorsese? year. Scorsese, Scorsese with uh, Pacino, De Niro, and like 
all the other oh yeah i've only that. seen the teaser for that yeah so. I, I haven't even seen the teaser i heard it and then i just kind of walked away because i was during the oscars i think that uh that they showed it yeah yeah yeah. point uh, being it just it feels like we're in a very 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 milk toast time and it's not like it was like I guess maybe it was a gradual change and we just weren't paying close enough attention. But it to me, it seems like there's definitely the the void of, I mean, just look at the Oscars this year. With the exception of Black Klansman, there wasn't much that got a Best Picture nomination that was like, ooh. All right, forgotten. But I'm sure there were some. Yeah, like, fucking Bohemian Rhapsody. Listen to our Green Book episode for <laughs> more on that. And again, this Aladdin movie, and who knows? it. it it might be great. It just, it really feels like for me and this like ball of negative energy I've had towards the current film industry. It just is kind of, it's the, it's the proverbial donkey that I can pin the tail on and be angry about. So that all being said, poor guy, rich is like, I'm trying, man. I like snatch. Make another movie like that. Well, maybe he needs to recover after the debacle that was King Arthur. I haven't even seen it, but that movie I bombed hard. Really, yeah, I didn't realize he made that. Yeah, it it's it's a punchline apparently, and so I can see how he might want. It's just like my shit with wrestling. I love movies. I want them to be good. I just want them to matter. I think you just kind of have to dig, dig a little further than you know the movies are getting all the coverage. I know, and, and that I self like admittedly that's a really a, a big flaw of myself that. I have and I need to work on it's I feel like I've become so jaded but also it it does go back to like um the awards don't really mean anything anymore and it's just like it seems like it's just this blanket of all these things don't matter just because it's going to make money anyway so why do we care that's I don't know shit about game of thrones but to me that my understanding is it some could say the writing got lazy after a while after they got really big. Some people will say that. I have. dude. You've watched it. it. I haven't. It, we I read do, a piece about it where they basically said when it got popular, the writing just kind of. We can do an entire podcast on my analysis of the Game of Thrones backlash phenomenon. And I think that the quality of the someone, writing. I didn't watch Dexter, but I saw someone said the finale was worse than Dexter. Yeah, and I know how Dexter ended. It's not. I The quality of the writing. I think that it's it's kind of almost a subjective thing, uh, what you how you feel about it. Obviously, you know it's like you'll find people that love it, you'll find people that hate it. I I, I thought it was fine, uh, but I think what's fascinating is just the what's brought out online, just the the entitlement and the and, and and well, but it also comes to 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 me it has a lot of interesting stuff to say in a meta way about long form storytelling and how storytelling and TV has changed and how we consume entertainment has changed and how maybe whereas it used to be that it was good for a show that give you to give you a cliffhanger and leave you wanting it for like a week mm-hmm. or now for like a whole year before you get to the season. Now it's counterproductive because especially if you've been going for a while, yeah. what you're doing is you're setting up the table for every single person to be disappointed when it doesn't go the way that they want it. A lot of people, I think, lose perspective of uh, it's a good show versus it's not the show that I wanted it to be. Democracy should mean everyone's voice matters. Game of Thrones should not. And that's a big issue that is with all forms of media and entertainment is that because of, and I love Twitter, uh, like for what I use it for, 
but social media makes everyone think like their voice matters and it's that's not the way it should be yeah i mean i think that you know it matters in the sense that yeah it's you know express it complain about it explain us you know if we're in for interesting conversations, I'm all down. Tell me why you don't like something, and I'll tell you why I liked it. This and, petition shit is ridiculous, Right, that's, that's where you kind of cross the line to ludicrousness. But to me, I, I think – and it's funny because of the nature of our podcast, but taste is subjective. In the end, when it comes to art, a movie that we love, somebody else might hate, and – if you give me your reasons, I may disagree with them, but if it leads to at least an interesting conversation that makes me look things from your point of view and at least understand why you don't like something or why you like something, even if I don't agree, I, I think that that conversation is more interesting than just giving blanket statements along the lines of, oh, you know what happened? The writing got lazy. Okay, can you actually tell me why you think that? Well, the it, worst it, part with the uh, – and I guess I'm kind of guilty of this with movies aren't the way I want them to be. And that's my personal thing. But that whole petition thing, you know, I feel even when I discuss why I don't like the state of the movie industry or when we do come in, here in the podcast here and talk about what uh, we like about movies, what we don't like, we can always offer to each other or together like, well, you know, they could have done this with this character. That would have been interesting. Or they could make a movie like this. That would be interesting. That fucking petition shit is just someone saying it didn't go the way I wanted it to. So I want it to be different. That's that's basically it. And I think, I mean, there are a lot of people that don't like this last season or even the last two seasons that have perfectly valid reasons. And but that's and that's fine. But that's art everywhere. You know, the problem is that the bigger you are, the harder you fall. So yeah. the moment that there's there's no room for this show to to make them feel better. This is the end. So mm -hmm. basically, oh, well, I didn't like what they did now. It all fucking sucks. I wasted eight years of my life. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? It, Be a wrestling fan for 30 years <laughs> and then come back to me. Yeah, it's... I mean, the whole thing is fascinating. It's also... Buckle up. We got another but, Star Wars movie this year. Yeah, I'm... I, Which I didn't realize until recently how many people fucking hate Last Jedi. Yeah, there's... Well, they're really loud. That's that's another thing. And that, that's, that's your thing. You, I like Twitter too. I love it. I love the the art interactions I get from it when they're interesting. But there's just the negativity in it. It self amplifies, and I think that that's another problem. When I was, you know, that that thing about lazy writing. I mean, that's just something that basically all it takes is somebody to coin something on Twitter to say it, and then everybody else will stop thinking and they'll just adopt that line and then just use it, and you just get that on repeat. And I was like, can we just at least talk about? Yeah, that's things. something I always have to remind myself. I just threw out how many people hate Last Jedi. Obviously, that's not true, as it made a shit ton of money, and a lot of people do enjoy it. But, but like, the thing is, there are a lot of people that enjoy it, and they just don't go online and you know talk about it. Or the people that you say, I like that movie, the people that are way more likely to go to uh, discuss with you their feelings are those that don't like it, just to be like... Right. Yeah. It, it, give you the... Whoo. Yeah, but the thing is that, you know, I think that most of those people also, if you were in a room face-to-face, -face, you would be able to have a more uh, just interesting, intelligent conversation than whatever comes across online. Yeah. So uh, it's it's kind of a side trip, except that it isn't, it isn't, because, I mean, what happens to this Aladdin live-action remake, what happens to Star Wars, what happens to whatever the next Avengers movie, it, you know, it's all part of this cycle where... I found myself just more jaded about online interactions regarding movies and TV shows and whatever because they add very little to my experience. Yeah. And and instead sometimes they detract from it because 
it almost feels like I'm carrying all the negativity floating around the internet whenever I've come to watch a movie or watch a TV show. And I was like, I don't need that shit. No. You know, I'm, I've, I've become very selective with like what links I click and which people I engage oh, with yeah. in conversation. Uh, because it's just, it's exhausting. And it's like, who has time for that? Yeah. And again, I feel everyone I've ever talked to that listens to our podcast and like really understands what we do knows what we're doing is one coming from a place of satire and two genuinely good meaning. It's like, as much as I bitch about shit, I always like to think that it's because I know how good something can be. And I want it to be that as opposed to just being one of those people that just gets off on shitting on stuff for no reason. There's people that enjoy just hate watching things. And, but also we're all human. And I, something that I've kind of like made myself, I've, I've been trying really hard, especially this past year, uh, as my feelings towards like the online world have like, you know, turn taken this turn. It's like I've I've tried really hard not to like go and go shit on someone's super happy post about something. Whereas like, you know, in the past, if I saw somebody going like, Man, the Lego movie is like the best movie ever, I would have gone and like, No, it isn't. It sucks. Oh yeah, I know. And I feel that way. And you everybody knows it. Exactly. And, and I'll still do it if it's Eddie, if it's you, you know, if it's like a friend. I'm not going to do it to a stranger. Whereas in the past, I probably would have. But now it's like, why would you do that? On Twitter, I'm way more likely to respond to someone who has just a ridiculous negative take of yes. versus. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, what have you thought about this? It's all, that's part of growing up too. It's just, I also don't get to have conversations about movies with many people like I do on this <laughs> podcast. So a lot of times it just kind of comes out. Because people, you know, everyone takes something more seriously than others. And it, I, I was bitching at work about this Aladdin thing because someone brought it up about they're going to see it, and I was just like, "You don't feel like it'd be more interesting if they, you know, made like an original movie?" I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean Aladdin is not original? <laughs> what uh, Aladdin? <laughs> um, thus so concludes <laughs> our discussion of the. That that was our State of the Union address of the film industry in 2019. And, yeah, I'm sure it'll do good. I hope it's good. Just th- what would be the worst is if it really is just, like, a bad homage to or, like, misses the mark or something. Which is crazy because – and I think I mentioned to you and the I first time – I do love Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. and But also when you – like that clip, and it's so unfair to judge a movie just by that one minute of uninterrupted footage. But, <laughs> but they released it, which makes it almost almost. But it's game. also the type of thing we just watch the source material, right? Yeah, and how good it is. But but I've also, you know, we've seen Guy Ritchie movies, and they're all more lively than that. So it's kind of crazy, and I'm waiting for the in movie explanation of, of why, why Vinnie Jones plays Abu. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, no, but also as we were talking about, we we're watching the animated version. I mean, we all agree you can't match Robin Williams. No. Therefore, it kind of makes sense that Will Smith would try to go in the opposite direction for his depiction of the genie. So chill. he's he's gonna be chill, laid back, cool, not not hyperactive like Robin Williams. So so and maybe when you see it out of context, when they just throw that minute of Prince Ali at you without the build up of the movie. It rubs you the wrong way, but maybe, hopefully, the movie gets there in an organic way to where by the time you get to the Prince Ali number, you're used to this take on the genie, and you kind of get it. Yeah. Either that, or maybe the following minute is just batshit crazy, <laughs> and it's full-on slow-mo Guy Ritchie, and you're like, all right, so so now it also makes sense. 